you've got to stop thinking, oh, it's for a movie and it's for this and will he like it or what will they think and what will she do? As soon as you're pure in your creativity and you're committed, then they will hear it. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Budgie co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we drew the map. Curiouser and curiouser. Our guest this evening is none other than Adam Peters. Hello, Budgie. Adam, welcome. I know you as a cellist and one-time member of um, Susie and the Banshees for about one gig, and uh, also back on the Bunny Men. More often known these days for um, providing amazing uh, film soundtracks to amazing yes. creations. Yes. Um, welcome. It's great to uh, to connect with you again. And the last time I saw you, I think we were in a gutter outside a bar in New York, <laughs> in a pile of bodies. Well, I, I, I can vouch for that because I thought, well, when was the last time I saw Adam? I thought I was climbing out of a skip in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was a film stars bar. It was one of those oh, film stars. I, I can't remember. I remember we all got thrown out. Some somebody tried to take a drink, like saying, "You've got to leave now." That always got me in America. I could never give my drink away. I had to finish it first. Yeah. And it and and I think the bottle smashed on the floor, which is never a good sign when you've been asked to leave. <laughs> it was like a scene out of a movie, though. It was really like something out of a. There was a pile. There was you, me, Sue. I think Severin and. Philip, <laughs> and this one guy had chucked everyone out, and we were lying on the floor, on the on the street. But looking back, do you not think sometimes the whole thing was like somebody written this wacky film script, and we were just like caught up in it? I th- yeah, I think I think it was. It is odd thinking about all that stuff because it all felt like it was very naturally unfolding. But every day felt like an adventure. But now that I'm older, I sort of see things a bit differently, but then I I don't really think about anything. And it didn't, it just felt like everyone was sort of grasping for whatever the, this sort of invisible horizon was. And it it had all these sort of adventures on the way and a lot of, you know, brilliant mad times and, you know, amazing music and creativity, but at a time when Everything wasn't being sort of analysed and looked at and tweeted about and right, Instagrammed right. about. You know, for my generation, it just felt like everyone was just doing their thing. Looking back, you can see it as a mad, crazy film script. It didn't feel like that at the time. How did you two meet in the first place? I think I had—I was in a band. I had this project at the time, and we—I think we met Severin. I know it was through Les Mills, who was managing me, who actually recently died. Um, he had been the Banshee's sort of original roadie. So it was Les that um, sort of introduced us to to you guys. Yeah. And that was how we met. And that, I, we, we, we came and did a, a tour with you. And um, 
I became sort of friends with everyone, and especially close with with Severin. Um, he came and produced some stuff for the Flower Pot Men. For our um, American audience, we have to explain where the Flower Pot Men comes from, because otherwise it won't make any sense. Oh, it was a, the Flower Pot Men was a, a sort of an electronic band that I had with this uh, uh, friend of mine, Ben, and it, it was a sort of we were into kind of so we were listening to suicide um that kind of stuff so it was sort of a kind of proto in what they were called industrial thing before that was a right. thing i was thinking as well about the about the name the name and where it came from the yeah. name yeah I, it, it was came from a tv show that we were kids So, uh, Lol, um, you and I, uh, pretty much, we're autodidacts, are we not? Autodidactic. We are. We are. I mean, we, we, we learned the trade just by kind of, you know, getting out there and doing it. Yes. But Adam, you, you were probably one of the few of us around at the time who actually went and studied music to a, a, at a degree level, right? Yeah, I did. I, I, I studied music. Um... I played the cello since I was a kid. I played the piano and the cello since I can remember, since I was, you know, six or seven, something like that. So I kind of, I grew up and I, I was trained. Um, I went to music school and all that stuff. So I had this knowledge of that. Really felt the, the whole sort of punk rock thing happened when I was about 14, 15 and down in South London, right. all the local bands like The Damned and Johnny Moped and Lotus. Johnny and Moped. Wow. I was in. I was sort of knocking around Croydon. So um, and and then and then moved to London. I think when we were about fifteen, something like that. So I was around. I was kind of around where you were, Lol. I was born in um, Red Hill. So Red Hill. Oh my gosh! Yeah, stomping ground. Yeah. And then um, so I, yeah, I went to music school and all that and um but i sort of i was drawn to this thing that was happening and i sort of felt that was where i wanted to be it, it was great because it meant that when i stuck then when i started playing with the bunny men that i could sort of find a home for the for the cello right. and the, the strings and the sort of the the sort of being able to being able to articulate how to make a bigger sound for a long time, there was um, I had to sort of fight that classical training because you get taught stuff, so you get taught how to think. And the whole thing about what we were all doing was that you weren't trying to do what was the handed down thing and the right. generation before. There, there was the idea was it was not about that. Right. Um, it was about you know we'd all probably listen to the Velvet Underground and whatever you know all that stuff, but you weren't slavishly copying it everyone was trying to be themselves you know there was no sampler so we weren't just sort of sampling things and going oh i want to sound like that there right adam how did you get involved with echo and the bunny men i, I met up with the bunny men uh i was round at kate st john's house who was a a, a girl in london that was a friend of mine she she was in a band with called the ravishing beauties She'd been the, at the same music uh, school that I'd been, and, and I was around at her her house, and 
somebody called up and said, the bunny men want someone to come over to the studio um, who plays cello or something like that. And I happened to be there. She said, oh, you want to do, you know, you should go see this. And I was like, the bunny men was my favorite band. And I, I was 18, maybe 19. Right. Um, so I went to this, I took my cello, I went to the studio and they were sort of all sitting around and I'd say, hey, we got this thing, we're trying. And they just started jamming. The, the sort of two power centers of the band was Mac and Will. And the, they, they were sort of pretty, they had a sort of conspiracy of silence going on in the studio. There was like, no one would really say much, but you had to do the right thing. And if it's like being in a gang, you know what it's like, you know. It's just like that. And I'm sure you know as well, Lol, you know, from... Oh, all too well. All too well. Yeah, yeah so... Yeah. But I had... I arrived and I, I just started playing this thing. And I think 19 years of wanting to do something just exploded in that hour. Um, and it all went down. I was like throwing my... I was doing all this mad, weird stuff on the cello. Um, and everything I, it, it just worked. It all worked. And then they said, listen, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm at school. They said, we're going to America on Friday. This was on Tuesday. We're going to America on Friday. Do you want to come on? Oh. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I went up to um, Liverpool on the Thursday. We went I went to the rehearsal, met at the rehearsal room, went to the pub. Well, it wasn't even the pub. It was the Yates, Yates's Wine Lodge. Yeah, we went to Yates's Wine Lodge, spent half a day in there, and then we went to the rehearsal room and we played, um, I think we played Foxhole or Marky Moon by television for about an hour, uh, and that was it. <laughs> no, <laughs> And that was it. And then the next day I was on a plane and I was in a, you know, being picked up with, and we were off to the, you know, it was on. And that was how it all started. And it was like, we were in New York and then Boston and then it's like, oh, we're going to Iceland. You know, it was, it was all that. And it was magical. It was just, I'm really lucky. My life's been quite magical. And things like that have happened all along. And I think it's because I just sort of jumped in with, you know, and then I didn't realize what I was doing, what I was getting myself into. Yeah. And I just loved it. I, and it felt right. I, I loved it. You know, I'm sure it was like that with you guys. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know what was going on. And yeah. now everyone looks back in hindsight and goes, oh, you know, it was this, it was this important, and it was this. It's like now I listen to the radio and they go, here's new work from so-and-so. It, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was like joining a gang. You're right. I didn't assume anything, but I also uh, – welcomed everything that came along i didn't i didn't think oh you know that's weird now we're playing you know the enormo dome in america it's like it, it just felt natural 
anyway, you know, because like we keep going back year after year and things will get bigger. And I just sort of went, oh, okay, that's what happens up until the point where it didn't happen anymore. Yeah. And then I had to think about it. That's when you start, that's when you start to think about it when something goes wrong and you're suddenly in sludge and you, your life's in sludge and you don't know why. And then you go, what, where? I thought it just... Right. <laughs> what happened, yeah. What was your sludge? My sludge was um, probably in the 90s as, you know, music changed. And I really loved... I, I loved going to some of those early raves yeah. as sort of like real primitive electronic music was beginning and it was you know just one swinging light bulb right. and a bass drum yeah. and that i thought that was had the same energy almost as as a, a sort of really primitive punk band what happened then was i don't yeah. know you know music changed and i don't think a lot a lot of my friends didn't change with it and they got left behind and then they sort of they got refound again 20 years later. That happened. And I remember the other band that I was playing with and I really loved was called the Triffids, this Australian group. And I remember that, you know, all these recording sessions where it was go do this with a drum machine. And, you know, it's like it, there was all this pressure that was coming from. Fuck knows where. You know, I remember, you know, with the Triffids, I remember, you know, all these suddenly the people were changing the drums and getting different drummers in and drum machines and all that stuff. And I think the very few bands dealt with it. Well, I thought Nick Cave dealt, Nick Cave just kept on being the birthday party and the bad seeds and they made those albums. But a lot of bands, you know, got really messed up by that thing. And that was when I. Things just sort of ground to a, a halt for me, um, and I ended up leaving. I, I left London. Where did really, you go first? New York. I went to New York, and I was over there, um, and I had a real laugh in New York. I, I'm not sure what I was doing. I think I was just sort of re recalibrating. I, I did bits of recordings with people, but nothing really stuck as being the sort of magical. Thing. Even who, who was active in New York when you got there? Did, did you meet up with anybody? I met up with Lloyd Cole. Lloyd Cole, yes. I was like a fan of his, but I, I got asked to do some stuff with him. And um, that's how I, went, how I went to New York. I was he, he asked me to come over and do some production, which I'd never done before. So I was staying at the Gramercy Park Hotel when it was... No, the yes. dump that it, we all know and knew and loved. loved. Yeah. <laughs> he said, you got a phone message. It came four days ago. <laughs> here you go. Yeah. I was here. Yeah. I was here. Yeah. Definitely yeah. here. <laughs> no, oh, you actually, you were at Molly Malone's around the corner. Yeah, exactly. So, I, yeah, I was doing that. Um, and it, that didn't particularly work out, but I had a really nice time with Lloyd. He's actually a really nice bloke. I met Lloyd Cole on a train down to, I think it was Portsmouth from London or the other way around. I said, where are you going, Lloyd? And he's, because I didn't, didn't know him. Yeah. And he was going golfing. <laughs> mad, <laughs> crazy, mad golfer.
I, I, was, I was walking down the street and I, I walked into a supermarket and I saw a sign on the wall for apartment for rent. So I rented this apartment and I, I didn't go back to London. And um, I just spent a long time in New York. And then things started working again when I decided to the I want I could see the trajectory of of I could begin to see the end of my life as clearly as the beginning of it when you get to that halfway point. I was wow. like, I'm gonna have to make some money and do something again here. Um and I've always seen pictures in music. That's how it worked with the Bunny Men. I could max lyrics and all that stuff, had this sort of um invisible it, it just sort of I could see things in it, and I was always trying to paint pictures. So I thought I, I, I want to go to I want to write film music, and I'd always wanted to. So I I said I was like I have to move to Los Angeles for that. Right. Right. I heard a story, my story that I heard, and I yeah. told it, it doesn't matter if it's not true, it's fine, because I've told quite a few people. Well, yeah, I had this friend and you know adam peters and apparently he was in the bar in new york and some guy sitting next to him said i'm doing a film you know i'm looking for some music and you said i'd get you some music and it was like olive oliver stone that was it's so yeah somebody's embellished that but it did happen like that i can embellish you better i could do i could go for hours let me go with yours (laughs) (laughs) I, i just like the idea you go like who are you anyway? I'll see you tomorrow. You know. Yeah, it was pretty much like that. I I met Oliver just after I'd moved to Los Angeles. I I met him through some random thing and um, gave him some gave him some music on a cassette, and then I got a call back uh, saying Oliver wants to see you. So I walked. I went. I was like, okay, you know. So I went around to his office. And Oliver, you know, it's a pretty... I've met a lot of people in our music world. Oliver's like all of them rolled into one person. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He's like about 15 people in one brain. But some of them are fantastic. Some of them, some of those people in there are fabulous. And um, I walked in and he's like... Who are you? What what is this? He's like, I love this. I, w- I want to work with you. I was like, great. And then he said, and then the phone rang. It's like, oh, hold on. And they reset. You know, it's like, oh, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev on line one. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it rang again, right. again, like two seconds later. Val Kilmer on line two. I was doing a bit of due diligence on you, and I realized you went out to the desert for about three years, right? I did, yeah. So tell us um, about that. Oh, okay, so at the end of the 90s, I was in New York, and I was in sludge, as we've established. Right. Sludging along, and um, yeah, I, I went one summer to Wyoming, um, and a friend of mine's so I've been talking to a friend of mine in New York. I was like, I'm stuck. I, I just don't know what the fuck's going on, and I'm stuck, and I need to get out. He said, oh, my dad's got a place in Wyoming. Why don't you go there? So like, 
sounds good. I'll go there and write. And I went to this place, and it, turned, it, it was at the top of a mountain outside Cody, Wyoming. It turned out it was Buffalo Bill's old hunting lodge. <laughs> there was bears. There was wolves. There was all. It was all there, and it was an old Native American um, sacred ground. And it's right next to Yellowstone Park, and it's the mountain where all the animals go to when the tourists go to Yellowstone. They all leave and go to this mountain. And it turned out my mate's dad had a company when he was younger. He sold it and not taken money, taken shares. And the shares he'd taken in some had turned into a gazillion dollars. So he'd bought this mountain and this whole place. And there was no one there. I, I, I went and um, I, I just wrote for a few months, came back to New York. I'd had such a magical experience in nature. And I came back to New York and I looked around. I was like, everything musically that was going on there, it was sort of electro sort of electro clash kind of music was going on at the time and i looked at it and i was like this is all referencing itself it's all going back to the art scene and warhol and everything is just sort of it's just not looking outside itself it's sort of everything seemed ironic the music and i felt caught up in this like i knew what was going on and all that stuff i was like i'm not interested in it so um I was like, I'm moving. So I made a couple of calls. I said, I'm getting rid of my studio in New York, getting rid of my apartment. They went in about a day. I packed everything in a um, in a U-Haul, cleaned all the sludge off, let no left the sludge behind for the next person. <laughs> Just walk on. Right. Just walk on. Drove across the country and went to Joshua Tree, which I'd never been to got to Joshua Tree, rented a house, and stayed there for two and a half years. What I should probably have done is gone on holiday for three months, as opposed to moving (laughs) and leaving everything behind. But the interesting thing out there was I did get into nature. I did get away from pop music culture, which I had no interest in anymore but i had to sort of refine myself yeah it's very interesting because uh that that's it was my experience with the desert you know it was like it was like complete psychic change going out there i asked i was living in la and i asked a friend where's the place where you know because everything was falling apart you know i'd had this big court case in london i was getting divorced everything was going bad and i we said well mm. where's the place where I go where there's nobody nothing you know <laughs> and they said oh Death Valley. So I went out to Death Valley first, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and I met an old man out there. It was like it was like an angel came, you know, down, and it was it was really a different change. So I've always liked the desert, you know, completely because it's like it's a place where you can really, uh, you know, you can find yourself again. So oh, was yeah. that your experience? Everyone said to me, "Oh, did were you taking lots of this and that?" I was like, "No, it was it was beyond anything." And it was beyond all that stuff, and I, it was it was very clarifying. Right. How was it for you in France? I mean, did you, you well, know, was that, or did 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 you, did you just was it good? 
it it was kind of the epiphany to get to the epiphany which wasn't clean and lovely yeah. which is really like messy and gr- gritty and on X, you know i would have chosen a hundred different ways of but no i had to get to the lowest ebb to the lowest point I also feel, and I don't know if you feel this, and it's like I feel if I'd left, if I hadn't left England, like you know, I left like '94 or something. You know, if I hadn't left, I don't know if I would still be around yeah. in any way, shape, or form. You know, it was that extreme for me. You know, really in one way or the other. And I, and I came out here and I found love and acceptance, which is like a little different than I, I was. You know. Yeah. feeling in london i mean i go back to london from time to time i haven't been i haven't been for a few years now because of the pandemic but um you know and i've still got friends there and my brother and stuff but uh it doesn't feel like home anymore to me at all yeah i i know what you i know exactly what you mean i i i, I listen now to i don't really listen to what's going on kind of music i mean the, the music i've been listening to lately is actually probably is basically african <laughs> been listening to a lot of African music and some Greek music. It's like everything to me is now from all over the place. And I found moving away helped me to get a lot more honest about who I am and what I do. Um, and it took the, some time in the desert and now living up at the, you know, out in the mountains. Um, I feel I can be exactly who I honestly am. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, that's that's a wonderful thing. And I found now found a way of making that work, um, and it happens to be within writing film music. But I had a struggle with when I was playing in bands because there was definitely a kind of, you know, I, I was educated. Um, I'd gone to a, you know, so I'd gone to a public school, public school, and there was I remember being in the tour bus with with the bunny man and, and sort of Mac and Will talking about public school boys. And I was thinking, hey, hang on, that's me. And I looked over at Pete and Pete, Peter Freitas is a public school boy. You know, um, so there was this sort of weird thing going right. on in England. Right. And then being classically trained, now it's fantastic because since the good things that happened in the 90s, you know, probably sort of Bjork, Radiohead, that kind of thing. There's been a, a cross a cross fertilization of classical music and band music. There's no real difference now, you know. Um, and that's been, you know, very liberating for me, even though I don't even care anymore. <laughs> it's, um, it, it's been quite interesting. To, to see that it, it's not all about David Bowie and Roxy Music and, oh, and yes. or whatever oh, the yes. hierarchy is that people listen to now. I, I have this theory about like you know like having having been a for want of a better word creative artist for most of my life. I I, I see different aspects of of creativity as like the the three rings of hell like different hell right. So you know <laughs> you, you, you know yeah, the music business is great you know. And it's very competitive, but there's some nice people in it. But that's one ring of hell, you know. Um, I started to do a lot more writing, like, you know, 
books and stuff lately mm-hmm. and that's like that's very sort of yeah. still a genteel ring of hell you know they still have the three martini lunches and that kind of stuff and but you know it, it, it's getting a bit more like rock and music and the top ring of hell has to be hollywood and you're in that i am you know? I know. and it's like everything i've ever done with hollywood is like you know like they they would sell their their children to make the movie or whatever and and do stuff it's like how do you survive in that and keep staying i think i've been lucky i i know exactly what you're talking about um usually that happens on projects when the project goes wrong at some point and that and people start thinking they're going to lose money right um the the thing is these a lot of these projects I, i just did this thing um uh, for Apple, it's a big. It was a big TV series for them, and it must have cost them 100 million, 150 million, something like that. It's called Shantaram, and um, it. If you, when you're on these sort of calls, and there's 30 people on the call, or or there's a whole group of people that are all invested in this thing, either financially or creatively, you know. The, Everyone's got their own idea about what something should be, and I, I don't come to I don't come to this going, oh, they're all idiots. They don't know. Some of these people are ferociously intelligent and creative, and some of them aren't. Yeah. So you have to figure out yeah. who's what, who's who in the whole thing, and then yeah. um, you have to what what I do what I do is I I kind of trust myself now i trust myself i i know what i'm doing so i don't know any better than these people and i don't know any worse than them i just know what i do and what i do is i say to them i think this and i can say that with 100 percent conviction i don't say i'm saying this to you with conviction but when i talk to them they say what do you think because yeah. you've got 30 people going, well, what should the music be? Or I go, I think it should be this. And then if you, you, if you know what you're doing and you can, then you can start to be creative because you can st- set your creative stall and you go, it should be this and let's try this. And then you have to, you have to have done enough stuff that they trust you. You have to give yourself room to fail and you have to work with people that are prepared to let you fail as you're trying to find the answer. These pe- these are people that write scripts, remember. You know, a script goes through 20 revisions. Right. These are not this is not the conspiracy of silence. No. No, no, no. Right. Everything is talked about and analyzed. Like why what's the motivation? Why is this character doing this? Why would the music do this? What is this saying? What's this doing? And as long as you can keep yourself creative within that and you can keep yourself above the 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 the, the sort of level of it and then you, they're, they're going to listen to it and or watch it and they're either going to go this is great or they're going to go this is terrible and you're fired <laughs> you know or they're going to go this is terrible and then you go yeah i agree doesn't work let's try it like this let's do it like that but you know that I can see pr- the problems happen when people come in from another world, like straight from the band world, as 
you know, right. I know the Banshees did at one point. Uh, yes, I know. I know. And yeah. you're like, well, hey, we're fucking Susie and the Banshees. And they're like, well, we're Warner Brothers. <laughs> You're part of a team, but also being part of a team can be really a great thing because there's so many people around. I mean, the last project I worked on, they were, they were great. They gave me six months where I was just basically dealing with the showrunner, who's kind of the producer, director, and the editor, and they'd be like, write stuff. Yeah. And I'd be writing stuff, sending them stuff. They'd be like, oh, this one, this bit's good. Uh, try this against that bit. Da, da, da. And we were able to develop a language so that when it went wide to the executives, it had already been, you know, we'd already figured it out. <laughs> yeah. So the, the problems happen when, you know, something's not right. And then they show it to an audience and everyone goes, I hate this. And then yeah. somebody goes, well, I just paid 50 million I remember I was talking to Hans about this very thing once. Hold it right there. You're talking about Hans Zimmer, the uh, the German film composer, right? Oh, yeah. Hans Zimmer had a little studio back in the day. Um, I was working down there putting some stuff together for the uh, the Creatures Live, first live uh, outing, so we'd never done it before. And Hans Zimmer in his studio had a, a Fairlight and a Mellotron and a big bank of Moog modules. And wow. Yeah. Hans, it was, Hans was like ahead of the game and nobody else could supply a whole orchestra with like a bank of S3000, Akai S3000. Right, the old songs. Um, yeah. Um, and he was doing uh, the soundtrack for Black Rain and then he did Driving Miss Daisy. Blimey. I think these, these were his entry points, if you like. It's just amazing, you know, there we are sitting behind Marks and Spencer in Earl's Court, a little garage, right. and Hans Zimmer's like the budding superpower. Did you um, did you live on the, the their uh, cheese and onion sandwiches? It was three bean three bean salads. Well, the three bean salads were excellent. Yeah, as well, three yeah. bean salads. I don't know if Hans uh, indulged in the three bean salads, and that may be the key to his success. <laughs> I'm. I'm- quite good friends with him and i remember he, he was saying yeah when we did gladiator after the first screening of it the the, the executives were all going what's this fucking voice this woman wailing over all this lisa gerard and they go we hate it. it's terrible get rid of it who you know what are you doing and um he was like no, you just got you've got to listen to it a few times. Right. You, it's new. Get used to it. You know, you have to things you have to get used to things. It's like when you've finished an album, you might play it to someone. They they just don't understand it. You know, it's like that but with a much right. big, bigger budget. So um yeah, and you can get fu- I you know, I've been, you know, I've been in some horrible situations and you have to learn when to sort of walk away. Also, what you're doing when, when you're giving music to these big projects, you're, what you're basically giving them is more stuff to play with. Right. You're giving them your heart and soul, but it's, you know, it, it's. They're going to chop and change it the way they see fit. Right? Or move it yeah. and do all that stuff. And yeah. you, you, have to, you have to trust these people. And then the more projects you do, the better the people you work with, 
the better it becomes. Yeah, I would imagine that's true. Yeah, because I've I've had some situations where you know we are we are definitely not speaking the same language, and I'm trying very hard to understand what it is you want, but. It's really, I think, you know, they have a different vocabulary. Their vocabulary is more, more, you know, visual. And, uh, you know, maybe they can't get it right. Here's the thing, like, when, when you're totally honest with yourself and you're making music and you play it and you record it and that is there and you have that feeling that your back of your neck goes and or you just know whoa that that's it when you have that feeling about something in music other people will get that feeling from it but you have to get out your own fucking way you've got to get out of your way to let that through to come in you've got to stop thinking oh it's for a movie and it's for this and will he like it or what will they think and what will she do as soon as you're pure in your creativity and you're committed then th- th- they will hear it you'll put it I, I, I sat in Oliver's room with this cassette put it on and he was like whoa okay you know it, the message travels I think it's a uh... Very good, uh, very good advice for life. You know, like like Oscar Wilde said, "Be yourself." Everyone else is taken. You know. Yeah, it's the hardest thing. Tell us what's coming next, Adam. What's what's? Um, I don't know. I'm I'm talking to some people about a movie, quite a big one. I'm waiting to hear on it. I I just got I just finished sort of three years of nonstop writing and recording so i'm actually the air is clearing yeah i'm just sort of waiting for the next thing i'd like to write a musical actually please write please write a good musical because every musical i hear yeah i'd like there's some other things i'd like to write i'd like to write i'd like to make an album that has the same approach as the old blues 78s the american things from the 30s and 40s so it's like it's just about the one thing in the room and I've got an idea about doing something like that, but I'm not interested in the blues idiom or the blues chord progressions. Um, but I'd like to do something that's in the kind of modes that I like working in, but that's recorded in that way. Adam, it's been great speaking with you. Good luck on all your future projects. Yes, good luck, Adam. Really lovely to see you guys. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas Kay. Music production, Jack Knife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web, and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com. And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram 
or at Double Elvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.